Good to be back with you all again, and our scripture this morning is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 12, and we're going to be reading the first uh, 19 verses. And would you please stand now as we receive God's word. This is what God says. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and roused him, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know what was being done by the angel was real but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, Report these things to James and the brethren. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. And when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. You may be seated. Have you ever been guilty of not using or misusing something that uh, someone has given you? 
I remember the last uh, Christmas I was at home before I went off uh, to college, my parents gave me this beautiful set of pajamas and a matching robe. Now I had never worn pajamas in my life. And not only that, but these pajamas had cartoon characters like Daffy Duck, Yosemite Sam, uh, and Goofy on them. And I was supposed to wear these at college? Now, I let my mom pack those for me when I left for college, but as soon as I got to college, they went in the trash. I never used them even once. A number of years later, they gave me an electric shoe shine kit. Now, I never shine my shoes, and they know that. Maybe they were trying to encourage me. But in any case, I had no use for it, so I sold it at a garage sale for a couple of dollars. Well, when Susan let it slip to my parents what I had done, my mom said, well, we're just going to stop giving you presents since you don't use what we give you. And not long after that, I remember they sent us some money for a bench for a new patio that uh, we were having built. Well, it was a tight month, and we used the money for something else. So when my mom called to ask how we were enjoying our new bench, it was an embarrassing moment. And this time she said, well, we're going to stop giving you money too. Have you ever been guilty of not using or misusing something that uh, someone has given to you? I mean, after all, it is Father's Day. Any of you uh, Father's Day ever get a ridiculous tie or a silly hat or a barbecue apron that uh, you just never got around to wearing? I'm sure I'm not the only one here this morning who has uh, been guilty of not using or misusing what someone else has given them. But what about God? Is God guilty of misusing or not using the things that we have given him? Have you ever suspected, for example, that God has not used or misused the prayers that you've offered to him? I remember one person in this very congregation who told me once that he felt like God must be asleep every time he prayed because God never answered his prayers. I had a friend once who had a baby and he told me that he was very thankful that his wife and his baby were doing well, but he was just a little puzzled at the way it had all transpired. He said every day during his wife's pregnancy, he had prayed that his wife would have a normal delivery and that the baby would be healthy. But things just didn't turn out that way. His wife, after 24 hours of labor, had to have a cesarean section. And the baby had issues, and so she had to stay in the hospital for several more days than they were expecting. Why didn't God use my friend's prayers for his wife and his baby the way he intended? If God is guilty, or if we suspect he's guilty, 
of not using or misusing the prayers that we offer to him, we can get discouraged from continuing to offer our prayers to him. We might want to say to God, just like my mother said to me, well, if you're not going to use my prayers or you're not going to use them in the way that I intend for you to use them, we might get discouraged from praying and continuing to pray. But that would be a mistake, a big mistake, because prayer is a tool that God uses in mysterious but wonderful ways. We should never get discouraged from offering our prayer to God just because he doesn't use it the way we want him to use it. Now why shouldn't we get discouraged from offering our prayer to God when he doesn't use it the way we want him to? Our text this morning suggests two reasons. The first reason that we shouldn't get discouraged from offering our prayer to God just because he doesn't use it the way we want him to use it is because prayer is not intended to get us what we want. It's intended to get what God wants and what we need. This whole text that I read this morning revolves around a prayer meeting. But this shouldn't surprise us because the early church was a praying church. The book of Acts in chapter 1 begins with a prayer meeting. And all along the way, we see that the importance that the early church put on prayer. In Acts chapter 2, we're told that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. In Acts chapter 4, we're told that it was through prayer that the early Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of the Lord boldly. In Acts chapter 6, we're told that the first deacons were elected in order that the apostles might devote themselves to prayer and to the teaching of the word. Prayer at this time in the church had a high priority. But there is something remarkable about this particular prayer meeting. Do you see what it is? It says in verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. For days and nights on end, the church was praying fervently for Peter. And this prayer was being offered after after it would seem that the prayers that the church offered for the Apostle James had not been used by God in the way that they wanted those prayers to be used. Now it's true that the text doesn't tell us specifically that the church prayed for James. But I don't think we can doubt the fact that the church would have prayed for James just as fervently as it was praying for Peter. They weren't playing favorites among apostles. I'm sure that this church also prayed fervently 
for James, and yet it would seem that God had not used those prayers in the way they had hoped he would use them. Because James was not delivered, James was beheaded. But in spite of this, the church continued to fervently offer prayer to God for Peter. I think that's remarkable. Why was that? Well, it's because these people understood that prayer was not intended to get them what they wanted, but what God wanted and what they needed. The example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was, was still fresh in their minds. In agony in the Garden, Jesus offered fervent prayer just like these people were offering. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus taught by both word and by example that prayer is not intended to get us what we want, but what God wants and what we need. Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane was heard and it was answered. What God wanted, the redemption of his people, was accomplished. And what Jesus needed, strength to endure to the end and to be faithful to God, was granted. An angel from heaven was sent from the Father to strengthen Jesus for the ordeal of the cross. These people had been taught from, by the apostles who had learned from Jesus himself that all prayer was to be offered in Jesus' name. That meant wanting what Jesus wanted, what God wanted. And when they prayed in this way, the result was that their needs would be met no matter what God had in store for them. In John 14, 24, Jesus had said to his apostles, Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive what God wants, that your joy may be made full what you need. The early church was not discouraged from continuing to offer their prayers to God because they understood that prayer is not intended to get what we want, but what God wants and what we need. So often, you know, we don't even know how to pray. We don't even know what to pray for. But we can be assured of this, that God uses our prayers to accomplish his purposes, to accomplish what he wants done and what we need. Consider the case of Augustine, one of the early church fathers. His mother, Monica, prayed desperately that God would keep him from going to Rome. Rome was a cesspool. It was a horrible place. And Monica was afraid that Augustine went to Rome that he would be forever lost. 
Yet God allowed Augustine to go to Rome. And it was in Rome that Augustine met Ambrose, the bishop of Rome. And it was through the bishop of Rome, Ambrose, that Augustine was converted to Christ. So you see, God fulfilled the mother's desire even though he denied her specific request. Let's not be too quick about finding God guilty of not using or misusing our prayers. Father does best, and prayer is not intended to get what we want, but what God wants and what we need. The second reason we shouldn't be discouraged from offering prayer to God when he doesn't use it the way we want him to is because prayer does result in miracles. Just because prayer doesn't always result in miracles doesn't mean that it never will. Just because a fisherman doesn't catch a fish every time he makes a cast doesn't mean that he never will. This text is a powerful witness to God's supernatural intervention in the natural order of things. Miracles are not the only way that God answers prayer. But it's safe to say that if we don't pray, we are not likely to see any miracles. And sometimes a miracle is exactly what is needed. But let's be careful about the language that we use. Because to hear some people talk today, you would think that miracles uh, happen every day. But that's not the case. Miracles, by definition, are an extraordinary or a supernatural intervention of God in the natural order of things. They don't happen every day. Miracles are not the only way that God answers prayer. Although the text, again, doesn't tell us exactly what the content of the prayers the church was offering for Peter were, I think we can safely say that God had already answered their prayers. Peter was given a freedom from fear and a peace that passes understanding. You know, it, it's not normal on the night before you are standing trial for your life to sleep as soundly as Peter was sleeping. I mean, the way Peter was sleeping, you would think he was in church, not in prison. <laughs> and, and no doubt, it was in this ordinary way that God had answered the church's prayers for James as well. James like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, was strengthened so that he might endure courageously to the very end. But God had other purposes for Peter. God could have delivered James just as he did Peter, 
But he didn't. Because God doesn't always do what he could do and what we want him to do for his own reasons. This is a lesson that Job had to learn years and years ago in the Old Testament. In chapter 42, verses 1 through 3, it says, Then Job answered the Lord after all of these things had happened to him. It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do all things, and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. God's purposes are beyond our comprehension. But we know enough about God and his ways to be confident that our Father always does best. It's a biblical fact, you know, that when God's people offer little or no no prayer, that there will be little evidence of God's supernatural intervention in the normal order of things. When God redeemed his people from Egypt, it was a result of prayer. When the Holy Spirit came upon the church at Pentecost, it was the result of prayer. When God healed people through the apostles' ministry, it was a result of prayer. And when God delivered Peter from jail, it was the result of prayer. Prayer doesn't always result in miracles. But if we want to see miracles take place, then we must pray. Because prayer is the means that God has appointed to bring into play his extraordinary intervention in the normal order of things. Now, the reaction of the church is almost comical, isn't it? Uh, We, too, know what it's like to pray without expecting anything to happen. Uh, Ron prayed for rain earlier, but nobody's brought an umbrella this morning. And these people in the early church were not much different from us in terms of their expectations of what could happen happen through prayer. God had not delivered James from prison, and so they didn't really expect God to deliver Peter either. But these people were very different, I think, from us today in this respect, and that is that they didn't get discouraged from offering their prayers to God just because he didn't use them the way They wanted him to. In verse 12, it says that many were gathered together and were praying. Many. I think that's remarkable. But then these people understood the first point that we made, that prayer is not intended to get us what we want, but what God wants and what we need. So even if God did not answer their prayer with a miracle, they 
were willing to continue to offer their prayer to God. And when that kind of praying goes on, then the second point often becomes a reality and we do see miracles take place in our personal lives and in the life of the church. We should never get discouraged from offering our prayer to God just because he doesn't use it the way we want him to. Father always does best. That's the title of this morning's sermon. Father does best. And that's not easy for some of us to accept because of the experience that we have had with our earthly fathers. Our earthly fathers don't always do what is best for their children. Remember that song by Johnny Cash, A Boy Named Sue? Sue was abandoned by his father at an early age to fend for himself. Earthly fathers are fallible, but our heavenly father is infallible. He isn't at all like our earthly fathers. And our heavenly father always does what is best for his children. Now, please understand, this doesn't mean that your life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be free of disappointment and pain. In fact, in that very same chapter where Jesus had uh, told his disciples, until now you have asked for nothing in my name, Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made or that your joy may be made complete. In that very same chapter, Jesus said to them, In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, for I have overcome the world. Whatever hardship we have to endure in this life, whatever pain and disappointment we encounter, we can take comfort from the fact that our Heavenly Father has overcome the world and always does what is best for his children. Listen uh, to this uh, uh, lady's uh, testimony. This was a letter that she wrote to me or to Susan and me many years ago when uh, we had uh, preached at uh, Covenant. And this is what she says. She says, Dear Susan and Steve, how wonderful it was to have you back at Covenant today. What a beautiful sermon you gave this morning. That's my favorite part of the letter. Uh, how, many times, how many times this past year I have asked the same question, God, where are you? The loss of my dad, who I adored, the rejection and divorce from Joe, a man that I loved more than my own life, for more than 26 years, watching my son, who I love so very much, turn his back on me when I needed him so much, to see him struggle through his rebellion, feeling so helpless and not being able to reach him in his time of trouble. Yet this morning, we sat together, my three sons and me, 
feeling the peace of God's love. Just sitting together in church was a special occasion and appreciating the fact that God has brought us through all of this and does have a plan for us. I have learned to thank God when I am left with shattered plans, knowing that he has better plans. I now know that it, he does have a better plan for me and my children. I see the evidence of it often, and I rejoice in knowing that he loved me enough to teach me to rely on him and to grow spiritually and emotionally. Hardship, disappointment, pain, yes. But also comfort in the knowledge that Father does best. One of uh, my favorite uh, theologians, uh, George Strait, um, I think has uh, put it so eloquently in a song that he sings entitled, A Love Without End, Amen. The first two verses are about earthly father love. And they're idealized because we all know Earthly fathers are fallible. They don't always love their children to the end. But the last verse is about our Heavenly Father, and this is the gospel truth. Last night I dreamed I died and stood outside those pearly gates when suddenly I realized there must be some mistake. If they know half the things I've done, they'll never let me in. And then somewhere from the other side, I heard these words again. And he said, let me tell you a secret about a father's love. A secret that my daddy said was just between us. He said, daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end. Amen. It's a love without end. Amen. That's heavenly Father love, and our Heavenly Father always does what is best. So don't ever be discouraged. Like the early church wasn't discouraged from offering your prayers to your Heavenly Father just because he doesn't use those prayers the way you want him to use those prayers. Keep in mind, he does always do best. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you that not only are you there, but you've revealed yourself to us. You've revealed yourself to us through your word. You've revealed yourself to us through Jesus Christ. You reveal yourself to us through your Holy Spirit who indwells us. Father, in spite of all of the hardship that we go through in this life, in spite of all of the questions we might have about why things happen the way they happen, we thank you that you have given enough information about the kind of father you are, that you are infallible, that you always do best, and that your love is a love without end. 
Amen.